0: In the Ring with Eusebius Marcasio. Eusebius Mar- my guest in this edition of In the Ring with Eusebius McKaiser is Professor François Fenter, who is a professor of medicine at Wits University, where he's also the head of Essentia. Uh, François, it's always good engaging you. I wish it's under good circumstances, but invariably when you call the doctor, <laughs> there is a problem. And in this occasion, there's a problem globally, the context being, of course, the pandemic. Thanks so much for coming on this podcast platform.
1: It's lovely to be able to talk to you again. I
0: want to ask some basic questions about vaccines. And the aim is that this will be the podcast equivalent of frequently asked questions for many people that are wondering whether or not they should get vaccinated at all. And this is based on experiences that I have had with family, with friends, uh, and stories that I've heard of many mates that have tried to persuade others in their lives they care about to actually get vaccinated. So my first question is, can you explain to us in a sort of the learning channel kind of way, when I get jabbed, the stuff that goes into my body, what is it and what does it do to my body?
1: So there is exactly what goes in by which kind of vaccine. Some of them are just dead chunks of stuff that looks like the virus. Other times it's got it's more smart. It's got other viruses that sort of help ferry these chunks into your cells. And finally, there's um, actual genetic material that gets transferred into you. That and that sounds scary, but it kind of bypasses all the systems and essentially provides a template for assembly of 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 chunks of viruses actually by your own cell. So essentially, it's. It's almost like a pseudovirus that gets inserted into your body. It triggers your, vac- your entire immune system to start looking at this, this thing as if it's an actual virus, but doesn't hurt you. So that's how vaccines generally work, is it tricks your immune system into thinking it's seen this thing before and then mobilizes those resources in the old immune system so whenever you see it again, you clear it away that much quicker.
0: Okay. If I get the jab... And unbeknownst to me, I have COVID-19 right now, while the nurse is busy injecting me with the Pfizer vaccine. Is that good, bad, or makes no difference to the body?
1: probably makes absolutely no difference. Let's say, for instance, a nurse has COVID and she coughs all over and gives you COVID at exactly the same time you get the the virus, or maybe you got it two days before and you're just incubating it and you're about to get sick. All of those situations, your immune system is seeing the virus, the The problem is that the virus, the active virus, is going to replicate in your body and do all the horrible things that you read about in the papers and you know about already. Um, The vaccine takes a while to work. It starts kicking in after two or three weeks. And then steadily that immune system, what we have learned is that the immunity builds and builds and builds. It's one of the beauties of this is actually that the vaccines seem to have quite a long-term effect where they just get stronger the longer you give time to work but it immediately you know it takes about two weeks what we are seeing at the moment is that somebody comes in they're scared because their family members got COVID, and they walk in, get the vaccination they get sick a week later and they blame the vaccine when actually it was just the virus that was that was incubating or they were in an environment where it was where they were sick
0: you've so, answered my question three i was oh. going to ask you exactly how long it takes before i have immunity if I do get ill and might even die a week after getting the vaccine, is that good evidence in science that the vaccine is really neither here nor there?
1: Yeah, wonderful evidence. Are we There is there's the possibility that, you know, getting the virus and getting the vaccine a week or two later might actually augment some of the immune responses you get to it. That's obviously not the first prize, you know, you just don't want to get this virus the first time without the vaccine. Um, but there is some evidence that people who have had COVID in the past who subsequently get vaccinated seem to get better. And there's even some enticing evidence in the last few weeks suggesting that people who have long COVID, those horrible, devastating symptoms, I think, may again many of your listeners will have heard of, that that. The, the vaccination seems to trigger, the, it seems to dampen down whatever's happening. Oh, that's interesting. The yeah,
0: that's very interesting. Yeah, I didn't actually know Just for clarity, in case actually. someone misinterprets, I think I was asking a slightly different scenario. I, had a, I have a friend who said to me, Eusebius, the guy that was chair of ESCOM died, but he was vaccinated. So why must I get vaccinated? What do you say to my friend?
1: So I would ask, when did, did the person definitely die of COVID? The deaths on after a COVID vaccination, if you've gone through that three to four-week period, after about, yeah, about four weeks, are almost unheard of on, in people who have been vaccinated. They happen, but they're so rare that they end up in the medical literature. The protection from death is pretty much 100%. So I would ask about the circumstances around that. You know, is If the person died a week or two later after having the vaccination, you know, there are very, very rare and very occasionally serious side effects associated with the virus, which we uh, the vaccine, which we can talk about. But okay. it's far more likely that person had active COVID. Mm.
0: How long do I have immunity for, and how much immunity do I have?
1: So, this is the public question number and science <laughs> question number one, which everyone's <laughs> trying to answer in real time. So, the, the news we have so far, so the, the best news we could hope for, and there is evidence that this might happen is it might be lifelong. That once you've had COVID, in fact, you may never get severely again. Or if you do, it's very, very unlikely. Now, having said that, I have colleagues who have had it twice and both times ended up in hospitals. So there are enough anecdotes to be scared of going down that road. There does appear to be, certainly we've had the vaccines for a year now, year at least year-long significant immunity using all sorts of weird and wonderful immunological assays. So with a little bit of luck, most of us are actually going to have lots and lots of protection, if not lifelong protection, significant decades-long protection from both the infection oh, and wow. from, from the vaccine.
0: Oh, wow. So that's what interesting.
1: I think, my, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, this field is evolving so quickly. Because I, be I thought it might
0: bit. we might land in a situation where, like the flu jab, we must get it annually.
1: So that's the worst case, scenario, which means our entire society is going to have to contort itself around an annual jab. And you must think about getting anything, South Africans do anything once a year is going to be to renew their car licenses is is difficult (laughs) enough. To get every 55 million people to get vaccinated every year is going to require a fundamental readjustment of the society. Mm -hmm. I think more likely is... We'll get vaccinated every couple of years. There might even be a situation where we only provide boosters for people who are more at risk. You know, the kind of diabetics, the older people. Um, that's my friends who are into this field deeply seem to think that's the most likely scenario. Okay. You and I will just get jabbed, mm. like we have been. We will be hopefully in the next few weeks and months. Um, And we might get a booster as we get into that sort of high-risk scenario. So,
0: Francois, that speaks to the length, and that's a good optimistic scenario. What about the extent of the protection? Does it stop me from dying, or does it stop me from getting the virus at all? Or if I have the vaccination done, can I still get COVID and I can be COVID positive, but the protection is that um, I'm not going to be in mortal danger? What is the extent of the protection?
1: It's actually an absolutely critical question in terms of understandings of what people hear this casually thrown around term, herd immunity. Now, vaccines operate at different levels. This vaccine, what? so to give your viewers, your listeners uh, an idea, the the situation we have at the moment, my staff are all vaccinated. About 20% of them got COVID in the last two weeks. Hmm. They all miserable. They're all in bed for a day or two. They're all taking sick leave. None of them are in hospital. All of them have bounced back this week and are fine. Mm. So they're not protected from the infection, but they're protected from the severe consequences of the infection. Um, So for many of us, I think people are, and it's not to underestimate, um, you know, two days in bed is not insignificant. We give vaccines to stop that. We have drugs to stop that and to stop the consequences of flu, which mm. we have drugs which stop um, symptoms by just a few hours, which are which are marketed. So we've stopped the worst consequences with the vaccines, but these breakthrough infections seem to be routine on all the vaccines, mm. and have catapulted this idea of boosters as well as perhaps drugs to mitigate these two or three days of feeling miserable to the front of the queue, which is where the development's happening at the moment
0: that is really 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 interesting if i have been vaccinated i am unlikely if i'm exposed to the virus at 3 4 weeks later to obviously get a severe instance of it and end up in icu and die that's the the good news but can i infect other people or is is the degree to which i can be an infect a vector also reduced
1: so the second you reduce as a vector, there's, there's data from from household studies that showed that people definitely are, are still able to transmit the virus, but they're much less likely to do so. So from in the household, if you're surrounded by vaccinated people, you're much less likely to get it, even if they do get breakthrough infections. It's, you're not. Why is that,
0: Francois? Is it is it because there, there's less of the bad stuff on my breath?
1: Yeah, exactly. You just It's very similar to HIV in many ways, where you know, we give people antiretrovirals, the viral load comes down, they just don't okay. transmit the virus. So that's the kind of model which seems to be permeating the COVID world at the moment. So yes, there's just less virus in your breath and you're less likely to transmit, but you're certainly not perfectly mm. unable to transmit.
0: There are lots of different vaccines going around. And I've wondered whether some of the attitudes that we have are informed by cold war politics or by science so for example a mate of mine was saying i see they've just approved like ones from china or russia i don't want those ones i want ones that come from oxford or from somewhere else in the (laughs) the west is there such a thing as a non-ideal jab or will it be good for our population to get everyone vaccinated, whether it's the Chinese one, the Russian one, or Pfizer or Astra? What, what, how, how do what, what should I secretly wish for?
1: So, so it's, it's a complicated question as usual. There's a ton of sinophobia in particular, you know, this attitudes towards the Chinese. There's several Chinese vaccines will emanate from China. There's the Russian Sinovac um, vaccine, which was which was trumpeted by politicians, Putin in this case, who's not any of our favorite politician, um, and pushed through in a very political manner rather than a scientific model, manner, which makes me pause. Having said that, these, these vaccines are being put through the regulators, and certainly the South African regulator is very, very strict. Um, and I am fair amount of, a lot of confidence in fact in the south african regulator to allow these vaccines through only when they are confident mm. that both the science is there is so what is the quality of the of the of the, of the manufacturer mm. i think it's important for people, viewers so when they think oh god america is best or european is best which does seem to be the default position remember that the j&j factory had a massive quality assurance problem mm. um the uh, the sci- the the indian manufacturer um The Serum Institute had a fire just a few months ago inside it and also has had all sorts of problems. So I think it's important to keep your eyes and ears open and to be a critical consumer of scientific news. But also don't be trapped in the the kind of geographic politics that, that seem to bedevil Um, all of us. The two vaccines that are in South Africa at the moment, the J&J and the Pfizer one, are absolutely fabulous. And you should accept at the moment, in terms of everything we know about it, as being both safe and effective. And as I said, I trust Mm Sapra to actually take the rest of it forward.
0: I know my dad's going to listen to this podcast. My dad's a very smart and informed person. He knows, because he's listened to radio discussions, that some people get blood clots and... My dad's view is, should one wait it out from a medical point of view? And how should one think about side effects?
1: So, I work in drug development. I don't work specifically in vaccine development. And it's interesting to talk about the, the culture differences between the work I do, which is in COVID new drugs, HIV new drugs, and increasingly in you know, obesity new drugs. The risk. Tolerance within my field is so much lower than in the vaccine world. They're almost obsessed with safety and they will uh, they they think about safety, such as the blood clots you look at, in a sense where we would look at them in the kind of developed scientific development world that I do and shrug our shoulders and say, so what? You know, that's so small. Why on earth are we even talking about it? In the context now, if we were looking at something that gave you a sore throat or maybe two days in bed, you know, we would look at something like blood clots and say, Gosh, let's think about this and try and weigh it up. The problem is that COVID itself is so vicious and has all, doesn't just kill you, it leaves you in many cases disabled. You are the, the, the equation, the weighing up of those two for your father, to my mind, is just absolutely not even worth looking at. It's not. To say there's nothing wrong that nothing goes wrong there is a risk to that but to quantitate it you probably have a far greater chance of dying or ending up with a terrible side effect of a car accident on your way to having the vaccine these things are uh, they incredibly safe there are mm. these tiny side effects associated with okay them. But I would so if i if i understand you correctly
0: in my very simplistic way what you are saying is if i'm not scared to drive to the shopping mall and back, even though I could die. But I'm not scared to do it because I know that the chances of dying are real, but they're not so big that I must be scared of ever getting to the car. Then I should use the same kind of logic when it comes to the vaccine.
1: I'm going to use the example from now on um, (laughs) because that's perfectly put. Honestly, that is exactly what you're talking about is... None of us sit awake. My father was terrified about going to get his vaccine, um, but and he lay awake all night. None of us lie awake all night because we're worried about the shopping trip trip tomorrow to the mall, as you say. So that that is a perfect analogy. Mm-hmm. You are much more likely to die in that than you certainly in South Africa than you than you are with the vaccine.
0: Mm-hmm. I've just got two or three more questions, and then I think we we've learned a lot from you. As always is the case when I when I speak to you. Um, some of us who are so scared of even getting this thing, especially while we're waiting to be vaccinated, we are pumping other things into our body, hoping to give the immune system a boost. And I've secretly been wondering whether we are making Discam super rich or whether we are actually investing preventatively in our health. I mean, you will, firstly, the prices have shot up at pharmacies of vitamin D3, zinc and vitamin C specifically, 1,000 milligrams, t- two, three times a day. I mean, I can speak like a doctor because these are the conversations <laughs> we are having on WhatsApp as as citizens now. And um, we're all stocking up on those. The only thing we can't stock up without a script or a good relationship with an unethical pharmacist would be an antibiotic to go with it, which is what you give someone if they actually have COVID. So some of us are boosting our immune system almost in anticipation to be optimally ready to start fighting. Does that help?
1: Sad answer is almost certainly not. You know, there is some data awaited. I think the good news is that there are lots and lots and lots of drugs being investigated at the moment and these strategies with vitamins to try and see if they benefit. The results so far, one after the other, have been very poor, but something's going to bite. I have no doubt that there's smart enough scientists, whether it's this week, or it's in a year's time, we'll see. But unfortunately, at this moment, we have nothing to offer other than, you know, panado and a kiss on both cheeks and some chicken soup to make you feel better. And that is the frustration at the moment, particularly amongst primary health. And it's also my colleagues in primary healthcare are every butcher the of victim of this desperation to be able to offer something so this is why you're seeing the rise of the vitamins the ivermectins and all this other stuff without actual safety or 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 efficacy data to back it up and as you say there are lots of people who are going to get very rich from this i'm just hoping we have something to offer quite soon so that we don't just you know we don't just say go to bed and drink lots of fluids and that's all we can offer
0: do you research scientists yet have consensus about ivermectin, or is it still a drug, whether therapeutic or as a prophylactic, that divides the scientific community?
1: It's been very divisive in the clinical community, which is not the same as the scientific community. In the scientific community, I think there's consensus at the moment is that it's either very unlikely to work and that the jury is very firmly out and it's unlikely to, to find. There was a study just done in the last two days, in fact, that was reported for early treatment. So you go to your GP, you've got COVID, you're feeling snotty and you've got a sore throat and a headache, lost sense of taste and it didn't work. Um, And it was a well-conducted study to my mind, not a perfect study, they're very hard to do in COVID times, but it didn't show it worked. And it means also that taking it to prevent COVID is very unlikely to work. But there we've got vaccines, which we know work. Mm -hmm. Whether it works in the hospital scenario is being investigated at the moment, although some studies there also have been very negative. I think the clinician community is much more because there's a group of almost evangelical people about ivermectin who wanted to work um, in the face of the data. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people who desperately hope they're right, but I need something to be shown to be effective before I start dishing it out. Oh, in fact,
0: patients. you are quite rude, rude about them on Facebook.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I think I said that You it's believe
0: magic. in
1: magic. It is, unfortunately. The thing about it is that if... You believe the ivermectin people. It works in prevention in a way we don't see with any antiviral outside of HIV. It works in a way for treatment we actually don't see with any antiviral point blank. Mm. And it works in advanced um, viral diseases where we don't see a single antiviral work like that. And we're using an antiparasitic drug. Mm. It's very difficult to understand how on earth this this would work. And yes, the word magic does occur to me.
0: (laughs) Third last question. So much is being researched in real time how much are we learning yet which i know you is one of your key expertise when it comes to hiv how certain groups are affected whether regionally or at an ethnic ethnic level or phenotypically or even at the level of the individual i'm fascinated how for example in one family when three people are infected this is a real example sadly from my hometown mom died Um, lots of comorbidities the dad um, was completely asymptomatic similar age as the mom and then the son super 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 fit Um, enviably fit was sick as a dog eventually recovered and it's interesting that the dad that didn't have his the youngster's profile was asymptomatic the mom sadly succumbed and he didn't have the mild version, despite the fact that most of us would love to have his body.
1: <laughs> um, it's the, you know, we're playing catch up with the science and particularly with the epidemiology. We now know the big categories. People are older, people have diabetes, people who have obesity. And, but beyond that, not so much. There's a really interesting article in the South African medical journal this week from, uh, um, which points to very high mortality rates in the Indian community in South Africa. And, um, And which speculates about this? Could it be a genetic thing? But I think what the authors seem to congregate around is that had far more to do with cultural, you know, with around religious gatherings and things like that that were probably driving it. So it's hard to unpack that in these communities. Um, There were a lot of people who said Africans were going to be immune to this, and in a a way that I thought was grossly reckless, and which has been shown to be completely untrue.
0: In the ring with Eusebius Makiza. Eusebius It's
1: interesting. Men have a. 20% 20% greater um, death rates than women do, but something we don't talk about. So just gender alone does seem to to power this. Ethnic minorities in America and Europe have a greater death rate, and again, that's about the social determinants. The fact that race is a very strong correlate with, you know, with all sorts of issues such as poverty, joblessness, mm-hmm. um, and all the sort of things that drive you know, mortality and other things. So unpacking, you know, these 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 demographic things from the constructs that exist around them is really really important second last question
0: yeah there are also lots of home remedies that people take some who are listening to the podcast steaming do this with lemons etc all of these things that make the rounds on on whatsapp in particular what do you say or, or or what what should be our attitude towards those things
1: Look, red wine makes me feel much better. So <laughs> I really do think that it's that, you know, really, if it makes you feel better and it's probably not going to hurt you in excess, use what makes you feel better. Just understand that there are some people out there to make you feel who are out to benefit financially and just use your critical I- issues around it. I'm a firm be- believer in steaming and lemon and sitting in a hot bath and feeling sorry for yourself. Um, so it's those kind of things, I think, have a place. Um, you know, mm. Look after yourself when you're feeling sick, mm. but don't kid yourself by that you're buying some super expensive vitamin that there's evidence from science that's going to make you feel better. If it does make you feel better, wonderful.
0: Last question, and I really hope that you'll grant me time in the next couple of weeks for a fuller version of the last question, but we'll set the stage. to the only policy question I'm going to ask you. In the South African context, is there an optimal way to decide who should go next with the vaccines? Because when the strategy was outlined, it seemed intuitively like a good idea to say, let's do it by age group because older people seem most vulnerable over 90, over 80, over 70, etc. But now we're getting a situation where there are other groups that are being designated based almost on moral judgments that the state seem to be making about the value of their lives, economically or socially. Teachers, police, journalists even. And I think to myself, okay, what makes all of them more important than the cashier? If they don't go to work, we can't buy our food, for example. The waiters when we go to restaurants, the security guards that keep us safe in the suburbs, uh, for that matter. Also, what about comorbidities? If someone has got HIV, living with it, and they are 33, they need that jab as much as a 50-year-old who is otherwise fit and runs 50 kilometers a week. What is your view about how one decides... Um, to prevent a mad rush, so you need some rational process. But in a country like ours where the disease burden doesn't really care for your age, quite apart from our poor lifestyle choices, which means many of us already develop diabetes because of all the starch we've eaten by the time we're 30, 35. So you've got many people in the youth bulge who are slowly beginning to feel a little bit annoyed that they are rendered invisible by the government in what is appearing like an ageist policy.
1: So let's add another group to really be controversial on top of this, healthcare workers, who have who are very well paid in this country, have more access to personal protective um, equipment, and theoretically should have the most amount of knowledge in themselves. And we're putting the front of the queue for vaccines, over and above 90-year-olds who have a much greater impact. So, I, in, fr- in some ways, I want to throw the question back to you and your, your viewers, you of all people, in fact, who can grapple with these things, because I don't have an easy answer. My initial instinct was to shame people who were going to the front of the queue, um, who were jumping the queue, who are 59 years old and crowding out the 61-year-old. Um, mm. And a friend of mine involved in the treatment action campaign said to me, stop doing that. You know, at this stage, government's approach in terms of prioritizing people is so incoherent and they're just not getting to people mm. and in fact there are lessons from this in the vaccinology field and recommendations from the world health organization which is vaccinate whenever you can mm. and just get as many people through the door as humanly possible speed is so much more important than getting the the program perfect and mm. i've come around to that way of thinking increasingly is that you know, i've stopped saying stand to the back of the queue, stand on ceremony, just get through the door, get the jab as quickly as humanly possible. protect as many people and play that role. So you're not telling me to jump the queue,
0: but you're telling me not to have guilt if I do. No, don't. (laughs) (laughs) show as always, (laughs) it's always an incredible education session when we engage. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on In The Ring. Thank you so much. In The Ring with Eusebius Makasio.
1: Eusebius